Well, I think some of you may have heard the quote, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And growing up as a kid, I would mimic my parents. I watched my dad live a life of integrity. He was strong, confident, and a wonderful provider for my family. And the more that I was able to spend time with him, the more responsible and confident I became. And I love watching my mom as well. She was definitely the disciplinarian. She made sure that my homework was done and taught me values that I still hold dear today. She was a health nut, an avid Bible reader, and a huge proponent of education. And one value that she taught me was the value of time with God. Every day, every morning, she would make us, and I repeat, make us read our daily bread devotional. And even though there was times that she would threaten us with breakfast, I would read it just so that I would be kept on my toes and make sure that I would get breakfast for sure. But, but mom loved me unconditionally and poured out wisdom from scripture and wisdom about life all the time. And the more time that I spent with her and dad, the more grounded I felt about how to live life. I basically followed their lead because they believed that habits, good or bad, shaped character. And they were wonderful role models for me. But over time, I started hanging out with my friends and eventually went to college and I began to be influenced by people who had totally different values than those of my parents. And the things that my parents had taught me, the best things they wanted for me, the things that would help me in life soon became a distant memory. I wasn't as responsible as I should have been in college and I did not do the things I needed to do to keep me grounded. It was probably because I took an extended break from the Our Daily Bread devotional. And as I prepared for our time together this morning, I was reminded of my decisions as a young man, the things I sought after and chased after growing up. And my parents desired a lot of things for me, but one of the most important things was to teach me and my sister the importance and need of choosing friends wisely. Because they would always tell me, who you spend time with is who you become. And if we think we uh, are influenced and distracted and by things of this world and that they end when we are young, we are sorely mistaken, right? You see, the, the quest to follow Jesus is a lifetime journey. It's a daily question that we must ask ourselves, who or what will we follow? In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is approaching the end of his time here on earth. And he enters into conversations with three would-be followers. So if you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to follow along, we'll be reading from Luke 9, verses 51 to 62. Please listen now to the reading of God's word. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in our passage today, we find some very hard words from Jesus And these words challenge us to think about what it means to follow him and what it means to be in relationship with him, to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus. Apprenticeship to Jesus is more than a casual relationship with him. He calls us to learn his ways day in and day out, not taking a day off, not being mediocre in our faith walk, but striving to be in the best spiritual shape of our lives. We talk a lot about discipleship in our church. We are called to be disciples, making disciples, and it's one of our core values. But becoming a disciple does not happen by accident or overnight and cannot happen just by taking a class. It's a lifelong commitment to follow God with our whole self and to be open to him so that as you grow, you can teach others to follow him. And the abruptness that Jesus addresses these three individuals catches us a little off guard, doesn't it? Because he doesn't leave any room for negotiation. We see a Jesus who is utterly and urgently devoted to his mission, the mission that was given to him by God. And personally, I like to picture the Jesus who's patient and gentle and loving, which he is, but it makes me a little bit nervous to see these things in these conversations. And so in this passage, Jesus asked these men and asked each of us, are, we, are you really on mission with me? Do you really know what it means to follow me? And we see in verse 57 that they were walking along a road and a man steps up to him and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus never begged anyone to follow him. He just simply offered, follow me, and he walked on. And what does it mean for the son of man to have nowhere to lay his head? He's asking, do you know who you're following? Do you know who I am? 
There is no place in this world that I call home. Are you still on board to follow me? Becoming a disciple of Jesus is about learning to pattern our lives after his life. And so when we look at Jesus, what do we see? Do we see someone who's committed to trying to live life according to the standards of this world? The standards that are focused on success, wealth, and power? Do we see someone who's trying to gain worldly status or influence or who's living a life filled with privilege? When you look at Jesus, what do you see? And so Jesus is saying, if that's what you are looking for, then I am the wrong person to follow. I am not going to teach you how to make your home on this earth. Jesus is calling into question what we value. And following Jesus, Jesus isn't just about knowledge or saying the right things or having the right theological education. Following Jesus is about living out the new nature that we are given in Christ. A new nature given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that will conform and shape our lives more and more into the image and likeness of him. To follow Jesus means that our life looks like his life. It means that as we learn to follow him, we find that we become increasingly uncomfortable in this world. We find no place to rest our head in a world that is devoted to success, wealth, excess, and power. When we follow Jesus, we begin to live in this world as one who belongs in another world with values that are different, values and a devotedness to love and peace and goodness and holiness. Following Jesus means that we will become increasingly uncomfortable in this world. I think many of you know that I spent the majority of my life working in corporate America. And in my 30 years at UPS, it was a rite of passage for everyone to start their careers working in a hub while going to college. You know, we got paid fairly well for part-time work. And I spent the majority of my time in the back of a trailer loading packages with a friend that I became very close to. And once we graduated, we were both promoted to different divisions in our general office. And my friend was a really smart guy and quickly became the darling of his division. He was promoted multiple times over and was seen as a rising star in the company. And we would chat regularly and he would often tell me, just keep working hard, Roland. It will all pay off. And several years later, we had dinner one evening, and we spoke about our lives, our jobs, our challenges, and honestly, I was so impressed with all the things he was getting to do in his career, and really, I was a little bit jealous. Soon our conversation then turned to faith and to church, and as a relatively new Christian, he soon confided that some of the things that he had done in his career, the things that he allowed him to get exposure and get promoted had caused him great shame. He had doctored reports. 
He cheated on his expense account and fabricated customer information all in an effort to make himself look better than his peers. And he sensed this was wrong. He was bothered by his actions and said the more that he went to church and studied God's word, he became uncomfortable in his professional life. He said that even though he was forgiven, he knew that, he realized that he no longer had things in common with his peers and his customers. He was a different person. But what happened? I think it's easy for us to see that the moment that he decided who he was following, the more uncomfortable in this world he became. And maybe the same is true for you. Maybe you no longer feel comfortable around a certain group of friends. They talk about other people and are negative all the time. And you feel like you must hang around with them else they'll be talking about you, right? Or you notice maybe an uncomfortableness around colleagues at work because you don't share the stories of conquest or excess or lifestyle anymore. Make no mistake, friends, when Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, it means that as you and I become more like Jesus, neither will we. Do you know who you're following? The second man comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, follow me. But the man says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? It sounds like this poor guy just wants to go bury his father who's just died. But Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, it's important that we remember the context here. Jesus is talking with people who have already been following him in their own backyard, watching him perform miracles, doing all these signs and wonders. But now, now things are different. If you remember in verse 51, Jesus has set his face forward towards Jerusalem. And things are starting to get real. He is locked in on his gaze on what is ahead. He knew it meant horrendous suffering and death for him. But he was determined to see it through. And once these followers saw Jesus' focus, they realized that following Jesus would soon become costly. It's kind of like the second man just handed Jesus a throwdown excuse. And I don't even know if those are a thing anymore. But do you remember when people used to use the telephone to communicate? (laughs) And when people would call you and you were busy or eating dinner or preoccupied, you would tell the person who answered the phone, tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm in the shower or I've gone to the store. But Jesus knows that this man was giving him an unacceptable reason. Because if this man's father was on his deathbed, then why isn't this man by his father's side already? And if the man's father did just die, well, then you have to ask, how would this man have even known this in a time when news of death would take days? No, the, the truth is that this man's father may be old, 
But the father is not dead. And his father isn't on his deathbed. It's because this man has different motives. Now that following Jesus is going to take him places that he never expected to go and require him to do more things than he ever intended, he's beginning to reconsider. He wants to go back and get his affairs in order, saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me get my life in order and situated just how I want to do it. I'll follow you, but let me get things squared away at home. Let me take care of the situation. Then I'll be freed up more to follow you. No doubt this man is reconsidering a commitment that is beginning to sound frighteningly insecure. And if we were to think about it today, we may tell Jesus, Jesus, let me save enough money for retirement and then I'll follow you. Let me get my portfolio in order first. Let me put my last kid through college. And once I feel safe and secure, once the risk is minimized, then I'll follow you. And whatever those reasons may be, in the end, the the man is basically saying, first things first. Jesus, let me have this, then I'll let you have me. Let me have the priorities in my life first, how I want it. Then I'll give you my life. And when we put it that way, we know it's not right. And Jesus reminds us that discipleship isn't about fitting Jesus around an ordered life. Discipleship is ordering our lives around Jesus. And if we are waiting for life to reach a point before we fully devote ourselves to what he calls us to do, then honestly, we may never reach that point. Because if Christ doesn't fully have our hearts now, why do we think he will fully have our hearts in the future? Embracing the path of following Jesus will consistently confront what we consider essential in our lives. Following Jesus will make us reassess our priorities and force us to decide what is truly important. We must remember who we follow. And finally, we see the third man come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And he's given a farming reference here that when a field is plowed, it's important to cut straight rows to plant crops. And as you cut these rows, you can't turn back and look around because you'll start to veer off course. It's the same for us as driving, right? We don't turn around and stare at the person in the back seat or else we'll just veer off the road. It's a very simple metaphor. Yet Jesus is simply saying that we too, must set our face forward. Discipleship and following Jesus requires that we, like him, set our face forward toward the kingdom of God. He's challenging this man because he has followed him for a while, but now that Jesus is going to places that have new requirements, he's having second thoughts. And when we think about turning back from following Jesus, it's not like we wake up one day and decide, I'm done. If we dig a little deeper, it's usually because of circumstance or situation 
that has made life difficult. Our devotion fades when we get thrown a curveball and unexpected things in life happen. We turn our back when our boss comes in and says we no longer have a job. We turn our back on him when our spouse has decided that they have had enough and decides to leave. It's the same question for this man. Do you really want to follow me in good times and in bad times? We must remember who we follow. And look, friends, following Jesus isn't easy. It's hard. This idea of taking the spotlight off of ourselves and turning everything over to God is hard. Dying to self is not natural. And it, but, and it can feel like a bad thing, but dying to self is essential. Galatians says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Dying to self is when a person is no longer concerned with their will or their happiness because they are no longer in the picture. They are no longer the center of their universe. When we give our lives to God, we choose to surrender our plans, desires, and dreams, and that can be hard. But when we do, we know that there is something better, that there is someone better on the other side. As a kid, my mom would always tell me, Roland Ralph Zavala, the world does not revolve around you. And she was right. A person who dies to self understands that God created them for a purpose and a reason. That we are designed to be used by God to accomplish his will. And this is the essence of God's plan. Not our will, but his will be done. Of course, we all know this, right? We all fall. We are all imperfect and broken. But, but Jesus doesn't require perfect obedience from us. He doesn't require that we never mess up or make a mistake. Jesus says that devotion to him isn't about perfection, but it is with condition. The condition is that we cling to Jesus regardless of the circumstance. We cling to him no, no matter how hard it gets because following Jesus is going to be hard. It's going to put us in uncomfortable positions and cause us to think of reasons not to follow him. We must cling to Jesus. In these three conversations, we see that the decision to follow Jesus is one that we make and remake over and over and over again, all throughout life. And if we think it's a one-time decision or if we think we are safe because we go to a Bible study or have been in church a long time, then we need to remember who we are following. We need to remember that there's an urgency of his call if we ever consider following Jesus a loss in our lives, then we are wrong. You see, the invitation to die to self is really an invitation to live. He is calling us to life, life everlasting, life eternal, and life now. And if you reflect on your life this morning, in the face of these conversations, 
with these three men and realize that somewhere along the way, you've turned back. You've found it too hard. Other priorities have got in the way. Or if you've struggled to make Jesus' purpose central in your life, or if you feel that the opportunity has come and gone and you've messed up, you'll never live up to the standards of Jesus and say to yourself, man, I've blown it again. If you feel this way, I ask you and encourage you to remember that God's grace is only a whisper away. It's because we serve a God of mercy who extends his hands to us even when we reject him. He says to us, I still want you to follow me because I love you. I created you. I sent my son to die for you. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we know God's mercy. It means that we are to cast ourselves upon his grace because he is a God with a perfect mission and a God with a perfect mercy that abounds for all of us no matter where we are in our walk. And that, friends, is good news. So as we journey to the cross over the next 40 days, we have the opportunity to stop and remember who we follow. It's an opportunity to slow down and listen for the still, small voice of Jesus, to slow down and simplify our lives and focus on what really matters. Uh, one author that, author that I read uh, is a guy named John Mark Comer, and he says it this way. Attention is the beginning of devotion because what you give your attention to is the person you become. It sounds like wisdom my mom told me many years ago. And so over the next 40 days, I invite you to make following Jesus a priority. Try the practicing the present spiritual practice that we learned about on Ash Wednesday, or maybe you set your alarm 10 minutes early, uh, earlier than normal, and spend time in stillness or in prayer. Or maybe just take time to go in the fellowship hall and take a look at the prayer walk that has been set up for you. You may not have time today, but the building is always open. You're always welcome to come and spend time in prayer with him. Or maybe, just maybe, find a copy of Our Daily Bread and give it a read. It's when we slow down, friends, and take time to listen to the one who is calling the one who is rich in mercy and has purpose for your life, the one who will hear, then you will hear the sweet invitation from our creator, an invitation that will become abundantly clear over and over and over again in these three simple words, come, follow me. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to walk in your way and follow your example. We know that we are not perfect, but help us today to imitate you. We thank you for words that bring us truth. Help us not to fear, but to trust in your will for our lives. We thank you for your son and for your amazing grace. These things we ask in your son's most precious name. Amen.